buenos días. You're not the nurse? No. You're not here to give me my medication? No, but I am here to ease your pain. Guess they couldn't save me, huh? No, but there's still a chance you could save me. This is the long and short of it, the podcast where we talk about each of the games on Metacritic's top 100 list. Uh, my name is Dan, and I am joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. Um, before we get started, just want to do a quick shout out to uh, my friend Luke, who put together our show's logo. Um, I've, you know, he kindly offered to do that for us. Uh, I said I'd give him a quick shout out. So if you're interested in any kind of uh, woodwork designs for the house, like tables, etc., check out Herbert's Woodcraft on Etsy. Um, but yeah, over to you, Dan. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the classic adventure game, Grim Fandango, which is number 96 on Metacritic's top 100 list. It also has an aggregate score of 94. Um, just to warn you before we get too far into it, this video is, or this podcast is going to contain spoilers. So just bear that in mind if you're trying to avoid spoilers for this uh, game from 1998. Um, this game is one of the only adventure games on Metacritic's top 100 list. Um, what did you think of it? How did you find it? Um, I mean, with with doing GTA 4 last time, obviously that's a game that's 12 years old. This game's 22 years old, and it's a very different feel to kind of a lot of games that you'd play these days. Um it's pretty much the first adventure game that I've played. Um, and you and me have been talking about it somewhat through the week, but I quite enjoyed it. Like, it's very frustrating in points, but overall I thought it was pretty decent and I can see why it was on the list. Um, but I can also understand like you had quite a lot of frustrations with it, didn't you? Yeah, I definitely had a lot of frustrations with this one. Um, that being said... I can also appreciate what they were going for and a lot of the work that they put in because there are a lot of things that this game does very right, but then there are a lot of things that I wouldn't say they did wrong, but I'd say are at the very least dated. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it was um, it was put together by, well, directed by Tim Schafer, who has gone on to do quite a lot of big games um including the monkey island games from the top of my head um are there any that you can think of um so he did the monkey island games he was yep. involved in those before this game actually this was um Cause it was lucas this arts, wasn't is it? yeah this is the famous lucas arts adventure games um lucas arts really had a pedigree for those adventure games back in the day um this was the first 3d one i do believe so they were coming up with a big task here of how they replaced point and click with um, the character interacting within a 3D environment and doing those same actions. Um, yeah, there are, so you've got the Monkey Island games, but he went on to do things like Psychonauts, oh, um, yeah. Broken Age, things like that. Yeah, I mean, with this, I don't know if you, the listener, have played this game, but it, it takes quite a lot from different... Um, like pieces of art so there's a lot of film references in there um from the top of my head you've got the obvious one being casablanca um you've got yeah. on the waterfront which is in there as well um the maltese falcon it's a very kind of film noir 
game. Yeah, I definitely. Um, and you can really see it in the costume, in the music, in the environments that you're kind of going through in this game. Um, did you notice any other ones? Um, I think they were the main ones. So um, I know that they had a big noir influence influence for this game. Um, you can see it in the Art Deco buildings and all the... Uh, even things like the wallpaper within each of the rooms. Each environment is lovingly created and it's uh, the detail in there is really nice. Um, it's really nice to look at and it's aged very well. It's very colourful and it is one of the very few games set in uh, Mexico's Day of the Dead. So it's nice to go to a place that you don't really get to go to very often in games. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, of the Mexican Day of the Dead um, overall style to the point where I've got a Mexican Day of the Dead skull tattooed on my arm. Um, so I knew from... Didn't know that. Just Yeah, yeah, I got it probably about seven or eight months ago. Um, so just from the outset, looking at the design on the um, cover of the characters, I had a feeling that I'd really vibe with the... Uh, with the aesthetic of it um and i did yeah so this is an area that the game really does well which is the production side of things so you've got not only the art style which is really top of class um the voice acting uh the graphics for the time um the soundtrack all these things are just really nicely done yeah majorly just to quickly uh, point out because we discussed it last time what console did you play this on um so i think uh we both played the remastered version um i played the remastered version on the nintendo switch um it's um, a nice port of it and they have basically there's an option to to turn off and on the new settings so you can play with basically yeah. the traditional character models or the new character models the new character models have smoothed things out a lot but what i will say is the new lighting sometimes makes it difficult to see visual cues so i think the um the retro style with the pixels actually makes things easier from time to time but for the most part i was playing in the new remastered mode um it's a good remaster with lots of extras um i think they did a really good job with it yeah i'd agree I, I started playing this on the PS Vita because um, I thought it would be one of those things that I'd just kind of pick up and play as I went along. But then I realised that it's one of those games that you really do need to kind of get invested in and think about quite a lot. Um, and luckily, it had the ability to switch save um, accounts over from one console to the other. So I started on the Vita, but I continued through on the PS4 and that's what I completed it on. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if... Um... I wonder if I would have enjoyed it a bit more had I played it more on the big screen. I mean, the Switch plays in handheld and the big screen, but mm. I played it entirely in handheld. And um, I was looking at some developer stuff afterwards, and I thought maybe things would have been easier to see and do if I had it on the big screen. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, you touched on the fact as well that you could kind of revert to the original um, graphics and original... Um, kind of gameplay style um 
as well as that, we discussed it a little bit earlier before we started recording, is that on the PS4 version, you have the option to put the controls to the original way they were um, in 98, which is tank controls. Um, and there's actually a trophy, an achievement to um, to gain by completing the game in tank controls. And after I completed it yesterday, the game restarts itself. So I thought I'd give a little go on the tank controls just to see if I'd have been able to stand it um, I like 30 <laughs> seconds in tank controls before being like, nope, no way. I would never, ever been able to play this game with that control scheme. It's... Um, yeah, it wasn't great. But it's classic 1990s gaming. Like, tank controls were the big thing, weren't they? Like, you look at Tomb Raider. Um, yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, all the... Um, you had all the, the uh, retro horror games, all your Resident Evils and that with the tank controls. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. I've always been against tank controls. So as soon as Resident Evil took those out, I was all in on it. Um, yeah, I mean... I did, um, in those developer videos I was watching, they did go over why they picked tank controls. And there is um, a semi-decent point for it, which was mm. basically that when you're running between camera angles, because these old adventure games have the different camera angles, the different um, environments between camera angles, and sometimes it will flip between one and another, and it can really throw your movement. So um, if you're yeah. using tank controls you can run between one and the other without changing direction, without the game getting confused as to which way you're facing. Um, So that was the reason for it. But um, Tim Schafer also did say that sometimes you can make a compelling argument for the wrong cause. So he admitted that in hindsight, it probably wasn't the thing to go with, but it was 1998. So it was just one of those teething issues with 3D games. Yeah, and I think those kind of things needed to to happen to get us to where we are today, didn't they? Um, oh, definitely. But moving on to my personal favourite thing about the game, which was the characters. Um, what did you think of kind of the world and the characters that had been created? Um, I think it's great. Um, so, did you know that Manny was played by it's a guy called Tony Planner? Um, I don't know if you ever saw Ugly Betty. I didn't really watch it, but no. um, my he girlfriend kind of like, yeah, he plays plays the father in it. Um, so I thought that was quite impressive. That's quite high caliber voice actors in there, and he does a really good job. So the other thing is, um, with his dialogue, uh, all those little, um, I don't know if you call them Mexicanisms, basically um, the things in Spanish that were on the end of lines and, yeah. stuff and that, that was all him. That was all him adding that to it. It's always nice when someone takes a character in that makes way and makes own. it their own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice. I thought uh, Manny was great. Yeah. I really like Manny a lot. And what about Glottis? Um, it's, it's difficult because I did, I did like Glottis and I thought he was a good character, but at times he, he annoyed me a little bit. He was, I wouldn't go as far as comparing him to like Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars, but um, you know he, he, he just got under That's my skin a bit. The ultimate insult, isn't it? You are. <laughs> That's the ultimate insult. And uh, it'd, be, it'd be the ultimate insult if I said he always reminded me of Jar Jar Binks. But just sometimes, <laughs> just just a little bit of Jar Jar about him, and it it just irritated me a bit. Like it felt like he was there for comic relief. Um, 
Uh, which is fine and you know it's totally yeah. cool and i mean i'm pretty sure star wars episode one came out the same year as uh as grim fandango so you know c- yeah it's around conspiracy there, theory it? conspiracy theory glottis is jar jar binks confirmed <laughs> but um he was all right i didn't get that but it i think apart from manny and maybe merche who is the kind of um, yeah, Mercedes female supporting character in the game, yeah. um, the heroine. Uh, I think all the other characters are a bit wooden, really. They're a bit cartoony, aren't they? Yeah, they are very cartoony. You've got characters um, like I think it was the police chief Ogden in Rubicava. He's just obviously yeah. a bad guy. Um, and you've got other characters like Domino and Hector. They're very kind of cartoon villains, but at the same time, with the dialogue that they use, I can't say it's a game for kids because of the the way that the characters speak to each other. It seems like it was for a more mature audience. However, there are elements about it that would suggest maybe it was for, um, for a younger audience. So it kind of walks the line a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think kids were playing adventure games more back then. Um, I think the humour was kid-friendly enough. There are a couple of moments that maybe wouldn't have been suitable for kids. But generally speaking, I think kids were playing it. Um, can you imagine kids nowadays picking up this game and playing it? I, str- I struggled with this, which I think brings us on to the, uh, the puzzles. Um, now, this was your big point of contention, wasn't it? Because we both went into it saying that we wanted to avoid using walkthroughs where possible. I failed. Um, but I think we both knew there would be the possibility that we'd have to pick them up yeah. at some point because a lot of it can be very obtuse. And I mean, in terms of the the gameplay and the area itself, the puzzles um, are the key to kind of progressing. Um, and I think I could confidently say, and I, I think that you'd probably agree with me, but correct me if I'm wrong, the game's... Um, because the game is split into four sections um, over four years. The game takes place on November the 2nd for four consecutive years, and each year is its own chapter. And I'd say, for me, that easily the best chapter is the second chapter in Rubicava. Um I don't know if you'd agree. Um, I, I think Rubicava is great in terms of the environment, in terms of the look of it, yeah. <coughs> in terms of the scale of it. But um, mm-hmm. I also think it was home to the very worst puzzles in the game, um, but also the most in-depth yes. puzzles. But yeah, I think the first two chapters are probably stronger than the final two, with, for me, the third chapter being yes. the weakest. Yeah, I'd um, I'd agree with that. I mean, I completed this yesterday, as did you. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm struggling to remember the first half of the last chapter the only part of that chapter that I, I remember is being um, in the field by the greenhouse. Um, I don't remember too much more from chapter four. Uh, you've got the um, you've got the you're up in the mountains, aren't you? And you've oh got the, yeah, the yeah, cable yeah, cars um, for part of it, and then That's you go it. back to Rubicava and El then Maro. back to El Maro. Yeah. yeah. So you you kind of do a, a whirlwind tour of all the locations you've already visited. But time has passed. I quite like the last chapter, actually. It was good. Um, it was suitably epic feeling, and the puzzles are a bit simpler. 
um, and I thought it tied it up in quite a nice way. Um, I want to talk about this. Um, there's some really clever ideas in here. Um, just the whole concept of it. Um, the fact that you've got these skeletal salesmen that are trying to sell people travel packages to get to the afterlife. Um, to get a commission. Yeah, for commission so that they can one day get them there themselves. I just think that's such a such a good idea. I mean, the amount of games nowadays that you get that really aren't pushing boundaries or envelopes, um, cookie cutter games. This idea is really original. And the other thing that I love, this is a really beautiful, um, the imagery is really beautiful, which is when, for some reason, these skeletons can die before they make it to the afterlife. And what happens is they... Sprouted. Yeah. So flowers uh, come from their body and it's really beautiful. I mean, I, I really remember the moment with Lola well at the top of the... Um, On the lighthouse. It's just really well done. And it's just really imaginative. And they just deserve a lot of credit for that, I think. I agree. I mean, in terms of the story as well, the um, the whole idea of Manny being a salesman it's, I mean, I don't think it makes the story more relatable. I mean, I'm a salesman and I didn't find it particularly relatable because I don't put people into coffins and send them on a four-year trip to the Ninth Underworld. But um, I thought you did. I, I do sometimes, but not often enough for it to be relatable, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I think with a lot of the, like the catalyst for all of this happening is Manny feeling that he's not getting any good um, leads and prospects. So he kind of cheats the system and that's what leads him to, you know, go on this journey. Um, and I can understand kind of from, from a perspective of myself being a salesman that not having your, your leads, not having your kind of your, uh, your potential clients and customers there, it's frustrating and you want to do something about it. Um, however, kind of, going behind the company's back and breaking loads of equipment to do so. Um, probably not the best way of doing so, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I mean, Manny's a bit of an everyman, so that yeah. you can kind of attach your own feelings and that to him. And it's a classic revenge story. It's also a classic um, finding the damsel in distress story and uh, Manny eventually getting to the afterlife himself. Um, it's a straightforward story they're telling, but the way they tell it is really well done. Um, and they just deserve a lot of credit for that. So another another thing that I think was pretty clever that they did, um, did you notice that there was no real interface here? So there's no there's no um, cursors or icons on the screen. Ah, um, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, so what you had instead was Manny would walk around the environments and he would turn his head towards things of interest. And then you would just press the button to interact with them. Um, basically, it was a very early version of head tracking, which we now see in games all over the place. But it got rid of those icons that adventure games would just be cluttered with in the past, which I think is a really, uh, again, forward-thinking idea. Um, it doesn't always work because... I, I'll give you an example. Go on. In the first year... When you're down, uh, you're downstairs, and you've just done a puzzle where you're trying to um, break the server room. Yeah. And there's a door lock that you need to sabotage 
so that when the engineer goes out of the room, the um, the door is left open. And, uh, I mean, playing on a Switch especially, that was just far too small for, for me to even see. So I happened to chance upon that. Um, but it took me a while to do that to get that. Uh, so it, it's just... a. Uh, it was an early version of it. It was a concept, really. But it was clever in its own way. I'd, I'd agree. It's um a, a lot of the puzzles... Like I remember you text me probably about a week ago saying that you were trying to work out how to get up on the roof. Yeah. Um, and oh, what what was the puzzle that... What was the main puzzle that you you thought was stupid? Oh, uh, it was I just... I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. So, you, so you've got the... I think they're the tyres that are coming down from the top of the building, which is what you use to climb up. But there's also a loose end of that, which you then need to mm. tie a coral trophy to, to throw over to yes. the other part of the building... To then have uh, Manny Use it as an anchor. hang and pull himself up from that, and I thought, what what is the logic there? Who these puzzles need to be logical for you to work them out. But what was the logic there? Why were you supposed to think that this coral trophy would make a suitable grappling hook to then shimmy across to another building? Yeah, there there were a lot of times where you kind of playing it and i know the other one that you struggled with was um well not struggle but you Cats. found frustrating was the um the tickets yeah couldn't stand that <laughs> could not stand it a lot of it i mean one of the ones that took me a while to get my head around was in chapter four where you go back to ruba carver um and you have to get glottis drunk oh yeah he then throws up over the dominoes which are linked up to a bomb that you need to disarm and then you have to go and find nitroglycerine to freeze his sick so you can walk on it to disarm the bomb. And, <laughs> I mean, unless you know what you're doing, which I didn't, like, that section took me about an hour because um, I was just messing with things and trying to find out what it was I needed. And because the majority of the, the city's deserted from that point anyway, um, it makes it feel a lot more drawn out. Yeah. But I think that can kind of take us nicely onto the thing that we touched on earlier, which was the walkthrough. Um, Cause we both said that we wanted to try and go into this without one, because obviously in 1998, when this came out, the internet was a very different place. Um, whereas now, if this game came out within probably about six or seven hours, there would be a walkthrough on the internet that you could follow. Yeah. Um, in 98, it wasn't the case. The internet was still very much in its infancy. Um, and I think it will probably take quite a while for someone to put a walkthrough for something like this online. So with that cat puzzle, I saw, because um, this this was uh, one of the puzzles where I eventually looked something up. Um, I got to the end of Rubicava, and that was the first time I looked anything up. Um, so this cat puzzle was the first puzzle that stumped me. And I saw that uh, some people that had played this game at the time had been stuck on the same puzzle, but because it was back in 1998, they were stuck on it. They just didn't get past it because there was there were no guides yeah. or anything. So they just never got any further in the game. And I just find that baffling that these puzzles weren't, weren't um, I don't know, tested or foolproofed or something. Game development, development, development in the late 90s, well, mid to late 90s was very different, wasn't it? Yeah. And 
it wasn't a case of just put something together and put it out. Stuff did get tested and stuff did have quality control. And there's a reason that this game is on the top 100 games. Um, but at the same time, like you said, there's just some stuff in there that's just baffling. And, you know, you have to really think outside of the box for a lot of it. I mean, h- how many times did you look at a walkthrough, being honest? About, so, it was about three times in total, but two of those times... Um, were more than one bit, so they were maybe the yeah. next bit as well. So they're a bit. They were two more prolonged times and one short time, which was the cats. Yeah, sure, that's fair enough. I mean, I I got through all of the first section without. I got through a majority of Ruby Carver. I think the cats was probably the same time that I um used it the first time. I got through a majority of chapter three without using which was good and then i think it got to the point yesterday where i just wanted to finish it that i was like okay i'm just going to walk through the the last chapter yeah uh you know which doesn't give me a sense of pride and accomplishment <laughs> however um it's the worst feeling you know isn't it? i i just kind of I, I i just wanted to get it done I by know, that I point i was i was there too i can see why this game is in this list um and I think there are good reasons for it as well. However, I wouldn't put this game in this list because of its puzzles. I'd put this game in this list because of its voice acting, because of its environments, because of its aesthetic, and because of its music. Yeah. Um, do, do you know what I mean? Like, the gameplay is fine, but some of it was just a bit too much. So let's talk about a bit more about um, issues with puzzles and gameplay, because... We've kind of uh, been a bit dismissive of it, but uh, let's maybe go into some of the reasons why. So I think for a puzzle game, there needs to be, it doesn't have to be real world logic, but there needs to be some internal logic which is consistent um, for you to work out these puzzles. But when it just seems like one thing is thrown together with the next, just so that you can make people progress and so that we can add a puzzle to an area that maybe didn't need a puzzle. This is where the problems mm. are. Um, so um, I was watching Ron Gilbert himself play the first, say, hour and a half of this, and he was talking about logical inconsistencies with the game. Um, he was talking about the ties which go up the um, the office building and about how Manny oh, just yeah. climbs them without even questioning it. Um, yeah, yeah, Just things like that. And there, there are other things too. Um, and I, when I was doing some of my other videos, I played Siberia three, which was, um, a game that I was very critical of. I think what I uncovered there was that there were two types of adventure games. There is one where you're locked in an environment, which the metaphor was that it was a cage and to progress, you have to do a certain thing. And then when you finish in that environment, you move on to the next cage and then you're locked inside there. And then uh, you keep going through all these cages. But within each moment, you're locked inside a certain thing. Um, Now, the other school of thought when it comes to adventure games is that there should be a hub world. And from this hub world, you can access, say, five cages. So you go into cage number one you might hit a puzzle there that you can't do. So you come back out of cage number one, but you might go into cage number three and you might make some progress there. 
and then you can go and do number two and then you might go back to number one but this game doesn't give you the options you need um to kind of alleviate that frustration if you get stuck you get stuck and there's no no getting past it i think because i i started this game about two years ago and then i think i got about an hour into it and i just stopped playing because i got stuck and i just didn't want to think about it the thing that i would challenge from what you just said there who, who was it that you said played this game um, so it's, oh no that so tim schaefer was the one who was playing it so obviously he was the um the creator of the game um, Ron Gilbert is the yeah. person who puts forward this Ron idea Gilbert. of um, there being two schools of thought when it comes to adventure games. The thing that I challenge with what he said, because obviously he said, "Well, the ties were there for Manny to climb up, and he just does it without." Oh no, no. So that was that was that was Tim Schafer that said that. Sorry. Okay. Um, with him saying that, I I get where it's coming from, but I think that him saying that comes from a very kind of late 2010s or you know 2020 kind of mentality whereas if, yeah. if you think of games now every single thing has to have a reason because the narrations yeah. are so particular or people are expecting an element of realism whereas in 98 everything was a lot more bare bones and it was just you play a game to play a game there doesn't have to be any um you know reason behind everything it's just there for you to have fun with and while I get what he says when it's just like, well, why would he just climb the ties when they're there? And as a human, <laughs> as a person, if I saw some ties down an alley up against a wall that led up to a ledge, I'd just be like, oh, there's some ties there. I wonder what that's for. I wouldn't climb them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for a video game, especially for its time, it's just there to be interacted with. Do, do, do you know where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, so so video game logic back then was very abstract. Yes. I think it was more him looking back on his previous work, because it was oh, his right. work, and um, critiquing it. Uh, he mentioned as well the dialogue. He said that um, at that time he wanted to make everything into a witty pun. He said yeah. since then his dialogue has become much more um, grounded and realistic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it some people prefer the puns some people prefer more realistic that's fine i think he was just commenting on his own work and about how things sometimes when sometimes when you're developing a game i suppose you just do things and you don't really have a reason why you're doing things it's just uh, gaming logic my issue is that sometimes that gaming logic seems to be absent as well yeah. so it's just too abstract there's no context to what you're doing um there's a few puzzles in there like that to be fair to it it doesn't go anywhere near as bad as, as some of the um, puzzle games that I've played or that I've heard about. But there are definitely those moments that, for me, detract from the experience. Yeah, it feels like it's obtuse for obtuse's sake. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with and, that. And, I, I mean, I, I enjoy puzzle games. I mean, there probably would be some puzzle games that were in my top 100. Um I really like the Sherlock Holmes games. Um, I think they do a really good job of modernising the adventure game, but they keep with that Sherlock Holmes style. And also, the puzzles just have a bit more consistency to them, even if some of them can be a bit challenging too. Mm. Um, so it's not... It's coming from a place of... Um, I just think some of those rough edges 
could have been smoothed out for me to enjoy it more. But that's just my, obviously, subjective opinion of it. Yeah, I mean, you've got more experience with puzzle games than I have because I have pretty much none. Um, We discussed earlier that the only puzzle game that I've ever really played was a demo when I was a kid, which was a broken sword, three or four, I can't remember which one it is, which I've subsequently bought, but I've never played. It's been on my shelf for about four years. Um, just because I don't think I have the attention span or the patience for them anymore. Um, and realistically, like you say, you're into the Sherlock Holmes games, and I know that you're well into Sherlock anyway. Um, the only game that I think has ever appealed to me um, to play, which I think is a puzzle game, but correct me if I'm wrong, is um, the Phoenix Wright games. Yeah, so they're um, they are puzzle games. They're Obviously, they cast you in the part of an attorney, mm. so they're they're law themed puzzle games, yeah. And things like the DS and the 3DS, they kind of gave a new life to those puzzle games. You'd use the stylus to do things, mm. and they were attracting new audiences to it. But yeah, that, that is a puzzle game. Yeah, I think I've, I mean I've never played them because Nintendo games, even after they've been out for quite a while, are still devilishly expensive. Um, I think that's Capcom. Oh, is it a Capcom game? Top of my head. Yeah, I think so. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, I think when I looked at them, it's still about 30 quid for the 3DS game. and I just don't want to spend that amount of money on a game that I'm probably never going to play. I'll probably buy it and then just not play it. Um, But, I mean, for a first adventure game playing Grim Fandango, like I said, it's one of those games that I've wanted to play for a while just because of the aesthetic of it. And like I said, I like the Day of the Dead theme to the point where I've got one tattooed on me. Um... And I enjoyed it, but I don't think that I'd play another puzzle game by choice unless it was on this list. But as you said, I don't think there are any others on this list, are there? Um, not not off the top of my head. Um, I just think puzzle games were developed as an antithesis to shooting games, to action games. Yeah, they're off their time. Yeah, and they they're basically giving you an opportunity to explore things at your own pace explore these environments maybe that you wouldn't see in doom or quake um that you could kind of interact with like um broken sword gave you paris Mm. and things like that um and i do think there's an opportunity there but i think they've kind of evolved into other games now you've got walking simulators that do i mean i don't like i don't like that that term it's a bit of a, a negative term but I quite enjoy, yeah, everybody's gone to the Rapture. I love that game. I think it's great. Um, I think it's a really good game. Uh, it's a, it, They kind of give you the atmosphere and the setting, but they allow you to explore at your own pace. Uh, so there's definitely a place for that. It's just very much of its time, I think. If you were to look at our top 100 list, yeah. this is the second game we've played on the list, does this game deserve its place on that list yes and I say I, I, I don't say that as reservedly as I did with GTA 4 but I say, I'd say yeah so again it was a hesitant yes so I think that places it down the list but on the it list. does which I, I think it being did you say it's 96 number 96 so it's right near the end yeah I, I, I think with an aggregate score of 94 I think it's right because it's so out there like a majority of the games that you'll see on this list, you've got first-person shooters, you've got, you know, RPGs, sports games, um, 
things like Grand Theft Auto, whereas Grim Fandango is on its own. And I agree. I think if this game wasn't themed as it is, and it didn't have you know the kind of music and the feel that it does, if it was just exact same story, but you're just a pirate or something, you know, just something <laughs> that it obviously isn't. I don't think it would Completely. be as high up on the list, but because it's so different and because the feel of it is so different from any other games that are out there kind of before or since, and you've got all of these film um, influences, I think that's the reason why it's up there. I don't think it's on the gameplay. I think it's on everything else, and the gameplay just kind of adds to that. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Um, what about you? What do you think? This is I find this hard because... I think you've just made a really good argument for why it should be there because I agree with you. Looking over this list, there's a lot of games that are very similar. There are a lot of games from the same series um, and it's nice to have a game that's not part of that, that's a bit separate from that and it does stand out because of that Mm. and I think those games should be represented in this top 100 but maybe that's a problem with the review systems that we've got and the critics' aggregate reviews and sites that um lump them all together basically mm. um so i think you're right there for that reason it should be but i wouldn't want to play it again no i agree i've played it once and i enjoyed it to some extent but i wouldn't do it again i mean i've got to um <laughs> for the video version of this i've got to oh, got to get there, and, uh, record yeah. some footage of it yeah and i'm not i'm not uh looking forward to that but it'll be more straightforward this time than if i was going in cold but yeah i'd I wouldn't play it again, but would you would you recommend it? And and who would you recommend it to? Um, I mean, I couldn't recommend it to any of my other mates because my mates primarily play COD, Apex Legends, just online shooters. Like out of my friendship group, I'm probably one of I I enjoy campaigns and games like this the most out of my out of my friendship group. I'd say. Yeah. Um, in terms of who I. Oh, I don't know. What audience is this for nowadays, do you think? People like us, I think. I yeah. Don't, I don't think that you can kind of suggest it to people, just say, oh, yeah, I've played this game, Grim Fandango, you should give it a go. Because. <laughs> no way. No, but people will just be like, well, no. Why am I playing this? Yeah. I think it's. At the time it came out for the audience that it came out to in 98, and that was fine. But I think. In 2020 and beyond, this game is for people that are curious about a, a time in gaming that was very different to where we are now. And also yeah, definitely. for people, because this is a bit of a cult game, really. And it's got... Oh, it's definitely it's, it's the definition of a cult game, I yeah, think. And it, it's got a very um, strong fan base. But I don't think that if someone went into it and saw on the game store, oh, Grim Fandango, oh, I'll give that a go. I think they'd just be left in, oh, right. Because that's what happened to me the first time I downloaded it. I saw it on the store. I said, oh, I've always fancied that because it's got a cool design. I played an hour of it and then didn't play it again for another two years until we agreed to play it for this for this podcast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's for people like us. They're a little bit curious about what... Um, games from back then were like and that kind of want to see a bit of an insight into puzzle games and arguably between some would say is one of the best puzzle games but yeah I don't know who who would you suggest it to um, so I, I mean you, you brought up uh, 
seeing it on the PlayStation Store. So I know this game was on PlayStation Plus yeah. as a free game for, for for whichever month it was. Yeah, that's when I downloaded it. I, I wonder how many people picked it up uh, as the free monthly game and actually how much time they logged on it. Yeah. That would be interesting to see how much of the general gaming populace picked this up and how long they played. But um, I would say... If you are intrigued, like you say, I think it's for those, those people that are a bit curious about yeah. um, games like this from this time. What I would say, though, is this goes against many things that I would personally say for myself. But if you were to play this, I'd say play it with a guide. Just have it there the whole time. Don't look at it all the time necessarily. Mm. But when you need to look at it before it gets frustrating, have a look because I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. And you'll be able to appreciate all the intricacies of what they do a lot more if you've got a guide next to you. Um, so that would be my way of recommending Grim Fandango. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Final thoughts. Um, you say you, you kind of hesitantly put it in the top 100, as would I. Neither of us would want to play it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> as much as I... I, I think I enjoyed it we a bit more than We've had a good show so far, haven't we? Well, that's it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have GTA 4 and... <laughs> yeah, don't play these games. Um, yeah but yeah i i think i enjoyed it a bit more than you but yeah i it, it's good for what it is and i don't want to play it again i was glad i was done with it and i was wishing i was playing other games when i was playing it so there oh, you go i've just read i didn't realize that it was actually released on android and ios as well in 2015 can you imagine playing this game on an iphone yeah well that'd be awful i just can't even yeah i don't even have any words for that Christ, no thank you. So um, we've we've kind of agreed the game we're going to do next, yes. which is my pick this time, which is going to be Halo. So look forward to that in the next couple of weeks. We keep um, working to improve the production side of the podcast. If there are any suggestions on things that you would like to see or hear us talk about or places that you'd want the podcast to go, then feel free to kind of let us know. At the moment... We're just kind of trying to build um, our experience of that. So I've got a bit of experience with podcast uh, podcasting. And as we said in the last episode, Dan does quite a lot of editing and videos on YouTube um, on his channel, The Subtext. Um, but the thing that I would um, ask is if you've got any preferred areas where you listen to your podcasts and we're not on there yet, feel free to let us know. Um, since Definitely. I mean, we recorded the first episode and I didn't really know where I was going to be putting this podcast besides trying to get it on iTunes, um, which we now have. So the podcast is currently available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and I believe it's gone to a few other areas as well, which a couple of my friends have said they found us on. However, if you do have a particular um, platform that you listen to your podcasts on and we're not on there yet, please feel free to let me know and, um, you know, I'll do my best to get us on there. We're also on YouTube, as mentioned, on Dan's channel, uh, which is called The Subtext. Um, yes. So you can find us on there as well. Um, and the only thing I'd ask is if you've enjoyed the first episode, this episode, or any episodes going forward, whenever you're listening to this, is if you could take a short amount of time out of your day to give us a rating on iTunes, because it just makes it easier for other people to be able to find us. Um, as we want to be able to build an audience and you know give our opinions um, shove our opinions down the throats of other people 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's what we do. That's it. That's all I think I've got to say. Anything else from you? Um, just see you in the next couple of weeks for some Halo time. Let's see if that one makes it into the top 100 or if it gets ousted. We'll see. I've done a few hours of it today and it's uh, it's looking all right. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. What, we'll see. Hold your opinions for now, though. It's best game ever, 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Okay, dokie. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next few weeks. Take it easy. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye.